Good afternoon. afternoon. My name's Steph. Don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, At the moment, we're in the middle of a series called Devoted, the Spirit-Filled Life. And we're looking primarily in the book of Acts at what it is, what what the early church looked like. Um, If the book of Acts isn't our blueprint, then we're in trouble because we haven't got one. Okay, so someone says to you, well, church, come on, we can't really expect church life to be like the book of Acts. Kind of, let's be realistic about this. My response would be, okay, if that's the case, then where is our blueprint? Where do we go go to find out what church life should be like? Um, We're really without a compass. And so I'm utterly convinced God has given us the whole Bible, including the book of Acts, um, as, uh, as useful and helpful and authoritative over our lives and that the reason why God inspired Luke to write that narrative was so that we could be helped as churches to know what a church should look like. And um, so we're absolutely going for that and um, really um, preaching our hearts out and going for all we can in terms of the activity of the Holy Spirit. We want more of God, right? We want more of God in terms of in, in our experience. We know that he has given himself completely to us in Christ. He hasn't held anything back. But in terms of coming into a greater and greater experience of him, Paul talks in Ephesians about being filled to all the fullness with God. You think, yeah, I want that, to know the heights and the width and the breadth and the depth of the love of God. I need that. Um, I need to know that in my soul, in my mind, in every part of my being. And that's really what we're going for through this series. And we're looking at when the Holy Spirit fills you, what kind of life does it lead to? And we've called the series Devoted because it leads to a devoted kind of life. It's not, it's not just a cold commitment. It's not just, oh, you know, you should be committed in a cold, clinical kind of way. But when the Spirit of God fills you, there is a devotion to God, to his kingdom, to God's people, to the mission, to the whole thing. And, um, and so we're, we're pressing in to be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. It's great to have Terry Virgo with us last week preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to carry on that theme for the next two weeks, dig into it some more, unpack it some more, just to really help you guys get, the, get to grips with this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, will have, that's new language for you. You, you. you don't know, hand on heart, whether you have been baptised in the Holy Spirit or not. Some of you will be thinking, well, is it different from baptism in water? And this, there's so many questions. So we're going to, hopefully, Terry laid an amazing foundation uh, last week, which I'm going to try and build on over these next um, two weeks. Um, I happened to hear Simon Terry's conversion story this week. Um, I'm sure he's probably told me it before, but um, it was like hearing something fresh. He, um, it was amazing. He, Simon was converted, and correct me if I'm wrong, Natalie, Simon's a bit poorly today, so he, he's in bed. But um, Simon was converted and baptised in the Holy Spirit at the same time. Yeah, so, he, he, so he's at this church and he says to the, one of the leaders there, listen, uh, you can pray for me, but don't put your hands on me. If, if, if God's real, he's, he's big enough to just touch me without your hands being on me. Something like this, I'm a bit feisty, you know. So the guy said, fine. And Simon said, you go over the other side of the room. So, so the guy goes over the other side of the room and just prays. And the way Simon describes it, it's like being hit by a bolt of lightning. And... Um, he never heard about speaking in, in other languages, what you might have heard of as speaking in tongues. He'd, no one had even, ever even told him about that. Um, he's, he feels he's hit by lightning. God powerfully meets with him, and he can't stop speaking in other languages for two hours. So Simon was converted and baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, together instantaneously. That happens sometimes. I wasn't. I wasn't. For me, it's a real muddle. Because my mum's a believer, so I was brought up as a Christian, and she says I made some kind of commitment to Christ when I was about eight, which I can't really remember. 
And then when I was a teenager, I went on some Christian holidays and kind of, I would say, I think I encountered the Holy Spirit in some way. But then I just totally fell away from Christ for a few years. And then I would say, to me, it feels like I was converted when I was 18. Because that's when I I felt like I totally gave myself to Jesus and my life really turned around. Although as far as God's concerned, who knows, it may have been when I was 8. I don't know. But I'm happier saying 18 because that's when the real life change came. And although I'd encountered the Holy Spirit in some way, I believe, as a young teenager, actually I would say when I was was about 21 or something like that, there was an amazing move of the Spirit that just swept through many churches in the UK. It was glorious chaos. And God met with me during that season in ways that are remarkable. I mean, very, very powerful. Um, and, and I would say a lot of what God has enabled me to do and gifted me to do came out of those, those moments of meeting with God. I met this week with a very, very gentle, very, very well-spoken Anglican vicar from um, the Russell Square area. Um, and he told me the story of when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, he, was convert- he was converted, he was involved in an Anglican church in Norwich, came down to HDB, Holy Trinity Brompton, in around the same time of this move of the Spirit, 1994-1995, and just met with God in an incredible way. And the words he used was this, I felt remade. I felt remade. Uh, he, was just, he was undone and put back together again. I'm telling you these stories because I'm wanting to say to you that it's really great to meet with God powerfully, okay? And there's a lot of stuff in the media and elsewhere that really show this stuff in a very negative light and would highlight things like manipulation and um, the power of suggestion. Darren Brown and others are are kind of picking up on some of the more negative stuff and the the impression you could get is anything like that is kind of not, not good, not genuine, not authentic, not necessarily so. Not necessarily so. Um, the early church was birthed in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was so effervescent, people assumed they were drunk. Okay. It's biblical. It's a biblical pattern. And so if you fear that, you are fearing something biblical. And you're in danger of building on a really dodgy foundation that actually, when you get to it, you think, what is that foundation? It's basically either fear, unbelief, or cynicism, that sort of stuff. See, those guys are fine. They're just being filled with the Spirit through there. Can you hear that? <laughs> But it's really important that you get your own head straight on this. This is God's word. This is the authority. We're not over it. I don't get to say, well, I like that bit, not, not that bit. It's important that we interpret it responsibly and carefully. But once we know that we've got it right, yes, that's what it really means, then we're under it. Yeah. We don't, we don't, it's like, okay, this is how you work, Lord, then come and do it. By all means. So we're going to be, we're going to be, I just want to create such a hunger in our hearts for the Holy Spirit as a church. Um, And we're not to be afraid of that. So baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to start, we're going to look at a few scriptures today, because actually, although the series itself is rooted in Acts, um, Terry took us through the whole of the book of Acts last week, really, on the baptism of the Spirit. I want to pull out some scriptures from around the New Testament, just to really kind of build on that somewhat. So I hope you forgive me um, for that, but it ties in with the theme very, very much. I want to start by looking at Jesus when he was baptised, because Jesus was baptised in water. As we looked at, he was immersed in the River Jordan, and we're told as he came out of the water. Well, let's look at it. If we could look at the, um, uh, the first scripture, which is in Matthew. It will come up on the screen here. Um, oh, yep, thank, yep, okay, here we go. So Matthew 3, verse 13 to 17. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptised by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and you come to me. 
But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So I want to just keep that up there for a second. I've highlighted the bits in red just to say he comes out of the water and then the spirit of God descends on him like a dove. So this is in a, in a, in a bodily form, one, very unusual, I think unique in the whole Bible, but fair enough, so is Jesus. So if Jesus' baptism is allowed to be unique, okay? So the, the, the spirit comes and rests on him and then there's a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So at Jesus' baptism, you get the whole trinity displayed. You get the son being baptized, spirit coming like a dove, father's voice from heaven. Now, the point I'm going to make over this week and next week is that the baptism and the spirit come to do primarily two things. The first is to assure us of our sonship. To assure us deep in our being, experientially, that we are adopted and loved by God as our father. The second thing we're going to look at, which will be next week, is that the baptism of the Spirit comes to empower us for service. There is no record of any miracles, signs, wonders, or preaching that Jesus did before he was baptized in the Spirit. After his baptism in the Spirit, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tempted by Satan, comes through that victoriously, and then he starts his public ministry. So the baptism of the Spirit is primarily for two purposes. Number one, to assure us that we really are his, adopted, he is our father, and no one can take that away from us because it is a, the Spirit himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay? It's not just that you read it, oh, it says it there. No, there's an internal, experienced witness by the Holy Spirit. And the second thing next week, to empower us to do the things that God has called us to do. So Jesus is our model for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He was baptized in water and in the Spirit. And um, we're going to be looking at today then assurance of sonship, this spirit of adoption. You see, for God, it's a big deal that when you become his son. And I just need to say this, this is for ladies too, your, your sons. Now, don't be offended, it's a really cool thing. The reason why you are sons is because in biblical times it was the sons who received the inheritance. And so when men and women are called sons in the New Testament, it's really positive. It's saying, do you know what? Men and women are going to inherit spiritual blessings in the gospel alike equally. That was really radical in those days. So it's really cool. So ladies say, I'm glad I'm a son. <laughs> Don't worry, guys. We, guys, we, guys, we have to be the bride. All right? So it's not, it, it works both ways. Don't, no, no getting on your high horse about, oh, it's all right for you men. No, we have to be the bride as well. We have to get our heads around that, all right? So just, okay. Um, all right, so, so your sons, and it's a really big deal to God that your sons. It's a really huge thing. And I want to try and communicate something of the fact that this actually matters to God. You see, some people say, well, look, we're all his sons. He, he created us all. And I understand that. I, I get the logic. The logic is, well, he made it all. And so in that sense, he's kind of paternally responsible for all of his creation. Yes, this is a different thing. This is a completely different thing. This is God saying, you are outside of my household. Naturally, you are an alien. You are far off. Through Jesus Christ, my son, I am going to bring you near. I, I'm going to bring you home. <laughs> it's coming home. It's the most incredible thing that you could ever long for or desire. In fact, I would say, some people say about sort of 
us when we're not Christians. It's a weird thing. It's kind of like we don't want God, which is the whole, pro- the whole problem. Our sinf- in our sinful state, we'd much rather worship created things than God. So we don't want God. But in another sense, we do. And what I mean by that is, is that when we go after these created things, really what's going on is, is that we're looking for glory. We're, we're looking for that, that uh, infinite satisfying glory which we can't articulate because we don't know God naturally but that's what's really going on there you're made for glory to know him and so until you know him your soul is not at rest so that's what's going on there you see and so in the gospel in God sending his son God is saying I'm going to send you my son that through being joined to him you become a son too And, and if God has gone far enough to give his son to make you sons, then surely he's going to follow through with the work of the Spirit to assure you that you are his sons. Amen? It would be utter crazy idea to suggest that God wouldn't want to do that. And I, it's a common battle for Christians to say, well, you know, maybe it's just the way it is for me, you know. All these people enjoying God's love, they know they're sons, but it's, I don't know. I know I'm a Christian, I know God's saved me, but this Holy Spirit stuff, you know, maybe it's just not my thing. Let's get in the Bible. Let's just straighten you out on this stuff. Okay. Because God, if God has made you a Christian, and if God has adopted you, then man, he wants you to know it. And if he hasn't, he wants you to know it so you can come to him and get saved and know his spirit inside of you. Okay? He's, he's, he, this gospel, is, every base has been covered so that God can not just legally kind of say, yes, okay, forgiven, but so that he can wrap his arms around you and smother you with kisses. That's the heart of God. That is the heart of God for you. So, let's look at, um, let's look at Galatians. Galatians will really help us with this. Galatians 4, uh, which is the next slide. If we could just look at that one, please. That would be great. Pretty, please. Okay, thanks. Uh, I thought Tweedy was being cool with me there for something I did to her during the week or something, but that's great. Okay, so, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is Jesus being born to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is incredible. The first half of this is the gospel. At the fullness of time, under God's overseeing wisdom, at the right time in human history, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Why? So that we could be, so that we could receive what? The adoption of sons. That's becoming a Christian. Fundamentally, it's not just forgiveness. It's not just justification. It is, but it's not enough. It's adoption. You become a delighted in child of God. If you never get that, if you never know that in your heart, you'll, you'll, you'll live like someone who's kind of, how can I put it? You'll live like an employee. Yeah, or you'll live like a friend of the family. You know when you're a friend of the family, you visit a family and you know everyone's having fun and all the, I don't know, the dads tickling their kids and you're going, oh yeah, that's cool, yeah. Ha. You know, but you don't go, you know, you don't, tickle me. You don't, you, don't, you just kind of, you, you just appreciate. Oh, that's great. That's, and some of you live like that. Yeah, you're acting like a friend of the family. Or you're acting like an employee. You go and you see tickling's going on. Very good, very good. Now, is there something you'd have me do, Lord? Uh, I'm just, just, just clocked in uh, here to just do some stuff. And it, cool, tickles first. See? 
That's how it works in my home. That's, that's the deal. I don't come in and I'm like, have you made your bed? It's not how it goes. Kisses, cuddles, tiggles. Then, how's your day been? Then we can get onto that stuff. See, it's knowing you're in the family. See, that's, that's, that's God's heart in the gospel. It's, this is the Bible. It's not me. This is the Bible. You can trust it. And because your son's so, this is something that happens either directly at conversion or afterwards, God does something. Because you're a son, it's an affirmation. Now that you are my son, you've been born again, you're a Christian, you've been joined to Christ in faith, you've put your trust in Christ. That's what makes you a son. Because you are, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. This sounds experiential to me. This sounds passionate to me. This sounds effervescent to me. He is uh, crying out, Abba, Father. If you've ever seen Hazel and Lena's kids, I think in your language it's Baba. Very, very similar. I love it. You see him, Baba, Baba. It's like that. That's, that's it. That's the heart cry the Holy Spirit deposits in you. Baba. So you're no longer a slave. You're a son. And if a son, then you're an heir. This is the heart of God. It's to be experienced, guys. It's, it's massively important. It's to be experienced. Someone asked the question, are you a Christian? Maybe we'll just re- are you a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, this is your inheritance. If you're not, then it isn't yet. So you need to become a Christian, then you get the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Sonship. That's how it works. What you mustn't do is say, yeah, I know I'm a Christian, but then put all these roadblocks in the way and all these ten reasons why God won't fill me with the Holy Spirit. You're, just, you're, you're working against the very wisdom of God. You're just... And I, th- I think, you know, last week, I know we out in the room there, Terry praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a surprising amount of unbelief, doubt, fear, timidity, assumption that God won't do it in a lot of your minds. And it's got no biblical basis at all. You're simply listening to the lies and you're allowing them to form a construct in your mind and make it sound reasonable. There's, God wants to fill you with the Spirit. <laughs> and the amazing thing is, is that this is something that happens as a one-off, but then the Bible says, go on being filled with the Spirit. So it's the Christian life. So this is so great when you can actually preach, expound the Scriptures so you're being true to the Word, but you're preaching experience. Because the Bible preaches experience. It's not theory. It's not theory. The whole idea, surely, the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, Old Covenant, laws written on tablets of stone. It's external. Oh, yeah, I know I must do that. Yeah, I know I must do that. But inside, I don't want to. New Covenant, wow, they've been written on my heart. I just want to know him and love him and please him. That's the wonder of the New Covenant. I've been changed by this gospel. So... What kind of impact should this have in our life when we know this assurance of sonship? Let's look at Romans 8. Please. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There it is again. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I want to look at this. It's very interesting. I would have thought that Paul would have said, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received boldness, or you received bravery, or you received courage. He says you received 
sonship. Because fear is really about not feeling safe. And if there's one thing that fathers are supposed to do, it's make their kids feel safe, right? And we've got to look at this for a moment. We've got to look at fatherhood for a bit. Because what are fathers to do? Well, I've come up with four main things that fathers are to do. Fathers are to love. Fathers are to lead. Fathers are to protect. And fathers are to provide. And so if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've been baptised in the Spirit and you know this assurance in you, if you are filled with this Spirit here, then, then, then you will know this love that casts out fear. You will know I am loved by God. He loves me. You know, I know God loves me. Everything about me as a person should say that I don't know that. In terms of my background, it's a, a, real, it's a, it's a lot of mess there. You know, I'm the guy that really shouldn't know this. Also, I'm a very highly strung, sensitive person by, by natural temperament, so I should be flipping out left, right and centre. I'm not. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has utterly convinced me that I am loved by God. I just know, I'm, and I make mistakes, I do things and I think, oh, you donkey, you've done that again. And in it all, I still know I am loved by God. I know it. I know it. I don't lie in bed at night fretting that somehow he'll change his mind because I know he loves me, because he's perfect love. Not because of, uh, the, my confidence is not based on the fact that he's found something in me. Oh, there he is, he's found something. Phew, now he can love me. No, he is perfect love. He is perfect love and he's expressed his perfect love to me in Christ and I have opened my heart to Christ. Therefore, God's perfect love is over me and in me and on me for life. Unto the end of the age and then into the next age forever. I'm loved by God. Do you know that? Because it, it, it breaks the rhythm of fear in your life. If you're constantly making decisions out of fear or you're trying to please that person. and this, I'm such a man pleaser naturally. Some of you are like, what? I'm serious. I'm such a man pleaser naturally. Fearful, afraid. You know, I'm the guy who's in a shop today and someone charged me something and I thought they've charged me too much. And, you know, I, I genuinely, as a person, tempted to just roll with that. Just roll with that. Because if I say that that way, then he might think I'm this. And all the non, you know, silly stuff. I'm able to just say, I think you'll find it's that, mate. Why? Because I'm loved by God. It's a little thing. But you understand, it breaks into every part of your life. So, number one, you know God loves you. Number two, you know that God will lead you. You know that God will lead you. Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit in this way, they know that God will lead them. They know that God is leading them. And they're not constantly panicking and worrying that they're off course. If my kids were off course, I'd tell them. I wouldn't just go, wow, look at that. They're really going to hit some stuff there. (laughs) What is that? How much more? You've got to get this. If me being evil will not allow my children to walk off a cliff, how much more? And when you know that, you know that you're no longer, oh, I've stepped out, or oh, you know, I did that, I forgot to do that the other day, therefore it all might be going wrong now, the trajectory could be going that way now. It's like, come on, he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. You know he's going to leave me, he's a perfect father. So fathers are supposed to take a lead. They're supposed to carry responsibility. They're supposed to feel responsibility for their family and really take it to heart as one of their most amazing honours and privileges from God. Wow, I've got this little brood under my care, you know, for a season of their life. I want to I talk about stuff. I want to have conversations. I want to just gently coach and guide them and just help them. And that's the heart of the father. That's his heart for you. So you won't constantly be you know, getting into big tizwas about this, oh, I've blown it, it's all over. It's not all over. It's not all over. Hallelujah. 
Fathers, thirdly, fathers protect. If you've got the Holy Spirit in this way, you know God's got your back. You know he's got your back. You're not always worried, well, this happened, well, that happened, da 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 He's got your back. You can give yourself to situations. You can give yourself to relationships. You can give yourselves to people. Why? Because ultimately he's got my back. You know, I just I feel utterly comfortable relating to people, letting people know things about my life, and I'm not constantly with them. Will they use that against me? Well, they can't. You can put it in the paper. <laughs> What's it going to do? He's got my back. The, the, my, life is in, my life is in the hands of one. It's in his hands. And he's utterly, utterly pledged, covenanted, that he would never put me through anything that I cannot bear. He'll never let me into stuff that's too much for me. He will never test me beyond what my stage of maturity can handle. He's a perfect father. He protects. You must say, well, don't bad things happen to Christians. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But whatever horror you can imagine, I'll guarantee you his grace will go further than that. And, you, you know, there are people, I heard a testimony of someone recently. I mean, I could not believe what I was hearing. Could not believe what I was hearing. Horrified. I mean, in terms of things that happened to this person before they came to know the Lord, for probably about 50 years. They stood before me as a 50 or 60-something, just in love with Jesus. You think, you're the, you're the classic person that wouldn't believe in God because if there was a God in heaven, da 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 But you love Jesus. See, his grace goes further. His grace goes further. And finally, he provides. He's a God who... Provides. If you're filled with the Spirit in this sense, then you, you can just get on with seeking the kingdom first. You're not constantly panicking about, oh, yeah, we've got to get that place and this. And you can say, I'm going to seek your kingdom first, Lord, and trust that you will provide all my needs. Yes, I'll be responsible. Wise. Absolutely. Yes. But ultimately, I'm seeking your kingdom first. Because I know as a good father, you will provide for me. Of course he will. Of co- I mean, man alive. Can you imagine, you know, I don't know, imagine a father that just... Well, tragically it happens. You know, there's no food on the table because it's gone to William Hill and wasted it all on, on betting or whatever. But you, you, you've got to really get your mind renewed on the character of God. He's, everything's his, so there's no shortage, number one. He's for you and he's a perfect father, so he's going to look out for you. You can trust him. With this offering coming up, you can trust him. With ge- just generally, financially in life, you can trust him. He really is trustworthy. The Holy Spirit will empower you to trust him. So, there's the teaching we're going to end on. Okay, how do we come into this experience? How do we... And then we have a bit of time for Q&A. Let's look at Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, doing stuff, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he, he asks the same question again, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. They know the answer. The answer is it's by hearing with faith. You preached the gospel, we believed it, and boom, the Holy Spirit came. That's how you received the gospel, by hearing with faith. Um... So church, I want to say this, you need to learn to stand on the promises of God. You really do. 
You cannot, you must not allow yourself to be battered around just by how you're feeling that day or by this thought that just came. That's a random thought that came in. Oh, let's believe that. Hold on a minute. You've got the word of God. Or, 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 or really easy discouragement, you know. Well, I did wait on God, but you know, nothing happened. Oh, how long did you go for? It was a good eight seconds, you know. I, I was, I was, I really pressed in, you know. Come on, come on, you, you, or, you know. Or you, we've got to get our heads straight on this. This is how the Spirit is received by hearing with faith. That can be the same as reading. With, you, 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 the words come in the ear, or and you get it. You think, yeah, yes, of course, of course. You cannot let Satan just batter you around the ring. Am I, uh, we're, we're doing a, sermon, a series on spiritual warfare starting in uh, April sometime. Because my conviction is at the time, Christians, are, they're just stood in the ring like, oh, okay, I'll become a Christian, I'll get into the fight. And they just stand there and just like, boof, 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 boof. And like, is this it? I thought it was meant to be more fun than this. Yeah, it is. You're supposed to land some real big ones as well. You're supposed to learn to duck and dodge a bit. You're supposed to learn, you're supposed to win. You know that? <laughs> You're supposed to win. And just because the devil doesn't come along in a red suit bought from the cannon shop with a big forky tail. Listen, that's not how we work. He's cleverer than that. He's cleverer than that. It's subtle. It's a twisting of the scripture here. It's uh, masquerading as an angel of light there. That's how he works. He's just firing him in, firing him in, firing him in. And you're going, oh, yeah, the Lord doesn't love me. And he's, the Holy Spirit's not for me. You're just talking. You're just, you're trash talking straight from hell. That's not the word of God. It's just lies. It's just lies and you believe them. Because you're not rooted in the word, you're not applying faith in the word, you're just living by your feelings and you just trust, you're, trust, you're trusting yourself more than God. You're listening to yourself more than you're listening to him. And it'll just rob you. It will, this is God's will for you to be filled with the spirit and to enjoy victory through the Holy Spirit. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones who says this, he said, the faith in the Christian life is not automatic, you must apply it. You've got to take what you believe and know about God from the scriptures and in the power of the Holy Spirit, apply it to your situation. It's vigorous. It's all grace. It's not, it's not, a work, something, not something that you earn. It's a work of grace, but it's vigorous and it's, it takes our engagement. This has always been the way through, guys, all the way through the Bible. Abraham, God makes him a promise. He stands on it. Everything says, no, you're not going to have a kid. He says, no, God said. That's the bottom line is God said. Yeah. 20 years later, they're holding the baby. Joseph gave him a vision, a dream of his brothers bowing down to him. Wow, what's this? Next thing he knows, they've betrayed him. Next thing he knows, he's been falsely accused of rape and he's in prison. He's in prison for years. It's a nightmare. And then the end of the story, what happens? His brothers come and all bow down to him. What God said? Why didn't he fall into bitterness? Because he kept believing God. Faith. David, God, God, God sends Samuel to anoint him as king. Wow, he's been anointed. The spirit comes on him. David's Goliath is looking great. Oh, I'm going to be king. Next thing, he's being chased around the uh, Judean countryside for years by a, a jealous King Saul. It's all gone wrong, and his men want to turn against him, and they want to stone him, and uh, the, the wives have been kidnapped. I mean, it's just a nightmare. What does he do? He strengthens himself in God. Why? He's got the promises. God's spoken. God's spoken. And that's the end of it. That is the absolute end of it. It's always the way. This is how it works. You want to receive the Spirit? Believe God. Believe God. Just start thanking Him. Little tokens of grace. Think about what He's done in your life. Say, God, actually, if you... You know, Romans 8.32, Lord, it says that if He did not spare His only Son, but gave Him, gave him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? If, if God would give Jesus to go through that, that's the, isn't that the hard bit? That's the hard bit. It's not a hard bit for God to pray His Spirit on you. 
The hard bit was that, but God did it. Why? Because he wants to enlarge his family. He loves you. <laughs> he loves us. He loves us. And he wants a huge family. Doesn't need us. It's not like he was lonely without us. He doesn't need us. He's perfectly happy in himself, but he loves us and wants to enlarge his family. This is the heart of God. I want you to see it. God has done the hard, the hard bit's been done. It is finished, said Jesus. He died for our sins that every barrier and obstacle may be swept out of the way. Is the death of Jesus sufficient? Yes. It's important to engage. Yeah, 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 what am I thinking? Yeah, and, 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 and come to a place where you say, yeah, of course, what am I thinking? Of course he wants to fill me with his spirit. This is massively, massively important. Praise God. I'd love to answer a few questions on this just to help clarify stuff as we go through. Then we're going to respond, praise worship, praying for each other to experience the spirit and the assurance of sonship. Amen? That's what God wants to do among us. So, um, any questions? Dan. There's a phrase in Ephesians 1, are you thinking with that? There's a phrase in Ephesians 1 called being sealed with the Spirit. Dan is asking, do I think that's the same as being um, filled or baptised with the Spirit? Um, I think it it could mean the same thing. I I really think it could. Um, uh, Some of you are thinking, what the heck? You know, it's kind of, it's a theologian thing. Okay, so, uh, that's all right, I'm on to. Well, at least I try to be when you're around. Um, So, so... Is it the same thing? I mean, maybe Dan, to help other people, what's the big deal with that, with that question? I think it's so... I think the thought behind it is, what would you say to a Christian who hasn't been baptised in the Spirit? Yeah. But said, wait a minute, I'm still with the Spirit, because Romans 8 says, if I don't have the Spirit, I'm not Christ. Sure. Yeah, every, I would say every believer in a sense, of course, has been worked on by the Holy Spirit. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit's work. It's called being born of the Spirit. Absolutely believe that. But all I would say is, I think that the book of Acts is the most helpful here. They definitely had a framework in their mind for people who have been genuinely born again of the Spirit and baptised in water, but had not yet received the Spirit. And so whatever way you phrase it or look at it, I would say that you can be born of the Spirit, baptised, but you've not received the Spirit. You've not received what they received in the book of Acts. And God wants you to. So whatever phrase you use, I would really be very strong and clear on that. And, um, and I think for a lot of believers, it's actually the key. It's actually the key. They've just, no one's ever taught them that there's, that there's more. Yeah, there's more. Yeah. And so as a result, they're just thinking, well, you know what? I mean, I'm not living in victory. You know, various areas of the Christian life that are unsatisfactory, but they assume that's just the way it goes. Not necessarily. Well, that's not the will of God. It's not the will of God. I'm not talking about a Christian life filled with the Spirit as a bed of roses. No, but it's victorious. It's victorious. And some of you, you, you've got besetting sins, and you look at it, you think there's no way through. There is, is, and it's the Holy Spirit. And it bewails my heart when I see Christians trapped in certain things, and the last place they look is to God. The last place they look, they go in here, there, and everywhere. Before that, you say, "Well, maybe God can do something about this." Of course He can. Of course He can. His provision for you is the Holy Spirit. So is that okay? Cool. Anything else? Don't be embarrassed. Or sh- you think oh, it's a really crazy question. Probably twenty other people are thinking the same thing. So it's cool. Just want to make sure we're all on it. Josh. Does that have to be um, 
almost manifested as a physical, something physical that you have to do. Like, <clears throat> I appreciate that some people would, when they get baptized with the Spirit, they would, they, like, their body does something. Right. Like, either laugh or cry or yep. trying to be not going too personal but I think like it's it's difficult when I've been a Christian all my life and then um, then you have you've never kind of almost felt yes. like something manifested something yes is, does this mean that I haven't okay because I still get scared I get very scared like Terry was saying last last week that he almost got boldness yes he, yes and I do have boldness but then I do get scared so yes Sure. Okay. Very good question. So does it need to be a physical manifestation of some kind when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? I would say biblically not in terms of laughing, crying, shaking, etc. Okay. Not that it's wrong at all, but it's not, you couldn't argue, you try arguing biblically, you need to shake when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you've got nothing to go on. Or laugh or cry, you've got nothing to go on. Okay. Biblically there is a manifestation and it seems to be from the book of Acts, either prophesying or speaking in other languages. So there's always, and, and so when the uh, people would ask questions like, have you received the Spirit or not? They knew, they answered one way or the other. You know, or people, or the apostles would go along and say, oh yeah, you've been baptized but you've not received the Spirit. There was an assessment, they, they, they knew that. Now I think obviously they were all first generation Christians, so it's kind of easy, it's a blank canvas. We've got kind of a massive history of Christianity and it can be a bit more blurred. You come from, a, you know, you're the, you're, you're the 29th generation of Christians, you know, in your family and kind of, I don't know, you came out of the womb speaking in tongues. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, where, how does that work? You know, there's all kinds of things that go on that muddy the waters a bit. I get that. All I would say is this. Don't, as a result of that, drop the thing down to a really low bar where you just say, yeah, I kind of felt like maybe God loved me at some point. You know, don't do that. Because the baptism of the Spirit is to assure us deep in our hearts we are children of God and there's a gift and an empowering that comes so we can serve Him. That is clear, biblical. So I would say let's move away from anecdotal kind of stuff and just get, what, what, what does it look like in the Word? Let's go after that. Is that okay? Or do you want to come back with some more on that? Don't want to leave you more confused. Sure? So I'm cool if God, you know, if you get filled with, you encounter God and you shake or laugh or cry, great. No problem with that at all. But that's not the yardstick as to whether I've been baptised in the Spirit or not. Yeah? So let's not develop a kind of external focus. Oh, they're shaking. We're, we're, we're there. This one's not. Come on, guys. You know, let's not do that. That's not clever. You put something weird into a church and you start doing that. Okay? That, leave that in the hands of God. But there is definitely, a, you, you know, and the assurance of sonship and, and, and a gift in it so you can serve God effectively and, and, and boldly. Yes, Ruth? Um, the yeah. So there seems to be that in Acts when people got filled with the Spirit, use this phrase like the Spirit fell on them and it's like if you imagine that there's a massive bath of the Spirit above your head and boom, you're immersed from above in that sense. He falls on you in the, in the initial baptism. But then Jesus, when speaking about the baptism of the Spirit, said that once you've drunk that water in the immersion, a well of, a well of the Spirit will be established inside of you. So I would say that primarily when you're talking about being filled again and again and again, it's, it's, in a sense, it kind of sounds a bit kind of 
well, it could sound a bit clinical. I hope it isn't. But as a believer who's baptised in the Spirit, you, you shouldn't be waiting for some more, something else to fall on you from above. The Holy Spirit has established this well of his presence inside of you. So go on being filled. Let it overflow. Which, which I think is really important because a lot of believers, you know, sometimes we say things like, come on guys, let's sing together to the Lord and about three people sing. Now, there's something going on there we've got to look at. Because for many of you, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but you're kind of there and you're waiting for something to happen. It's like, no, stir up the gift that is within you. Stir up the anointing that is within you. Sing and pray. Get moving in God and expect as you do so for, for, for just there to be an overflow and a bubbling out of that. It's really important. And if you don't get that right, then you, you go into a passive mode. You're always looking for that bath to drop on you again. That's something initial that God does by the Spirit. And then there's a, the well is established. So I could be filled with the Spirit now. Absolutely, yeah. I could just, just, just you know, yeah. Why when I've got the Spirit of God indwells me, I've been baptised in the Spirit, I can just start singing, making melody in my heart, just pressing, just, yeah, sooner or later, I'll, I'll know I'm filled with the Spirit. And I would say often in my prayer times, you know, as the Puritans used to say, I have to pray myself into praying. Now what does that mean? It means really, you get praying, but you're waiting to be filled with the Spirit, and something happens, and you know, boom, now we're rolling. Now I was praying before, but there was just a lot of a sense of saying, I'm going to get a hold of God and that's the end of it. But then suddenly, bang, you kick in and you just know you're filled with the Spirit. The thing is flowing. It's been filled with the Spirit as a believer. Yeah? Is that cool? Last one, Matty. Yeah. Uh, scenario, you've got a Christian not baptised in the Spirit. Yep. If they're not led by the Spirit, does that mean they are under law? Because it says a little bit later on in Galatians that if, you're, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Yep. So that means they're not being led by the Spirit. So your Christian hasn't been baptised in the Spirit. They're not being led by the Spirit. Does that mean that they're under law? No. Christians are not under, Christians are not under the law. But in one sense, we overcomplicate it by saying, Christian, not filled with the Spirit, get filled with the Spirit. You don't need to create a category for the Christian life that is not filled with the Spirit. There's no need to. It's like saying, well, I've got this friend of a Christian, but they're not baptised in Malta, and we're just trying to work out, are they saved or not? There's no need, there's just, there's, there's no need for that conversation. Just get baptised. Do, do you see what I mean? You create a category, and you, you start floundering biblically, because you've created a category of either unspirit baptised Christian or unwater baptised Christian, and there's no need for those categories. They're not biblical, so you will end up with a strange theology if you do so. No, be baptised in water and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Yeah. And just to say, by way of ending up humorously, when Greg Haslam preached on baptism on that Friday night, I didn't say anything to him beforehand. Because I, I think he used almost exact phrases I used, and I felt like, oh no, you know, I hope the guys from everyone thinking, I said, Greg, you've got to speak to the guys. I spoke to them about baptism the other day, and they, were, they kicked up a real fuss, so you've got to say the same thing again. Here's the script. You know, it wasn't like that. But I just felt, actually, it was amazing that he did. And I felt, you know, you need to hear that. God's saying, God's saying some stuff about baptism. It's really, it's a really big deal. And, um, you know, and so God wants the full package for us. There's no reason. I can think of why anyone would choose something less than what God's saying. Yeah? So, can people, last thing, last question I'll answer. Can people be, can people be baptized in the Spirit before they're baptized in water? Yes, they can be. Happens twice in Acts, Cornelius and Paul, Acts 9 and Acts 10. Acts 10, Acts 10, Acts 9. Acts 9. Yes, they can be. But, if someone is resisting baptism, it's possible that the baptism of the Spirit will be withheld. 
Because as soon as Paul, in Acts 9, was baptised in the Spirit, he got baptised. As soon as Cornelius was baptised in the Spirit and his whole household, they got baptised. So it wasn't an issue of disobedience and resisting God. It was, it was just, God just did it that way. Okay, wasn't it? So I just want to say that, yes, that can happen, but don't, don't get into that thing of trying to play God. Not, not act like God, but trying to play him. Do you know what I mean? Oh, well, if I do that, then he might still do that. Obey him. <laughs> it really works much better. So, as <laughs> uh, it should be. So, this is, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, how are we going to work the rest of our time? I know we had a real long time of beautiful praise at the start, so we're probably really late. How are we doing for time? Quarter past. Okay, so what I would say is this, is that we, we, can, we can press in for as long as we need to, but if at half past five, parents, if you could just bear in mind kids, yeah, so let's get our kids at half five, just to honour the workers out there. I think that's important that we do that. But I, also, but I want to say, kind of more generally, um, get, get a hold of God now. Get a hold of God now. If you're not baptised in water, but you're saying, but give me a date and I'm there, get a hold of God now to baptise you in the Spirit. You want someone to pray for you? We'll pray for you. Throughout Acts, laying on of hands is quite normal. You, you feel more like Simon? You're like, no, I want to stand in the corner. You stand over there, fine. Just get a hold of God, one way or the other. Okay, and let's just, let's just be really happy together encountering God and meeting with God because there's no way we can do what we're called here to do without meeting with God. We can't do it. Okay, we need to be empowered by the Spirit to live the Christian life. It is an impossible life to live. The Bible says, he, is, he who claims to be in him must walk in the same manner that he walked. You can't do that. You need the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we all desperately need the Holy Spirit as much as one another. So let's worship him, honour him, but I want to just encourage a holy melee where we get to the bread and we get to the wine. We honour and remember his body broken and his bloodshed, which has opened the way for all this glory, all this inheritance, this generosity of the Spirit, all because of Christ's sacrifice for us. Let's get to the bread and the wine. Don't wait for anyone from the front to give permission anymore. Find people, pray with them. I want to just ask you guys to, to use this time. And, and I want to ask you as a church as well, I want to just say this. Please do go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly fearful that there's something of a timidity and a passivity at times about us that we don't need to live under. Okay? We really don't need to be captive to that. Let's, let's just let's be free, right? Because Christ has brought us freedom. So let's enjoy it and let's live boldly. And if you want someone to pray for you, just go and ask them. Okay? And if you want, you know, you want to get older, let's, let's just do it. Amen? Amen. Okay, maybe the band could yeah, come and help us and um, let's stand, let's, let's, let's meet with God together. Okay? Amen.